for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Have you ever heard that you're only as good as the company you keep? Well, y'all, when it comes to help hunting partners, that statement is a direct bullseye. A solid and reliable elk hunting partner or partners. Well, there's somebody you can ride the river with. On today's episode, we'll share stories, thoughts, and tips on choosing an elk hunting partner and what makes a great and even not so great hunting partner, as well as we'll tell a few stories about the people that we've hunted with. We'll, we'll withhold some names to protect the innocent. We'll also answer some readers' questions, and give our Elk Bros shout-outs this week. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volume just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk County. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Arnellis, and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy the show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you from Spring, Texas, and joining me are your elk hunting coaches, Chab and Joe. Y'all know what's next, guys. Welcome yep. to the show. <laughs> Thanks, bud, man. It's shout-out time. Shout-out time. Absolutely. If you're new to the show, these shout-outs are just a few cities and listeners that are topping our charts this week. Joe, I'm going to let you kick it off, brother. All right, man. I it, It's so cool because – we go and we look at these and it's all these different names and man, Pennsylvania starting to light it up. All these people in Minnesota and I'm seeing Connecticut and oh man, the, the foreign countries <laughs> up in Canada and stuff. So, so cool. So let's, let's kick it off. Oh, Absolutely. before I do that though, last time <laughs> it was, I, I don't know if it was the last podcast or the one before that we were talking about Dubuque, Iowa right? Dubuque, Iowa. That's Dubuque, right. Dubuque, Iowa. And, and we were talking about the, we were talking about <laughs> the, the Trappistine Caramel. That's right. Yeah, well, Man, how'd you get a hold of some, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> 
Son of a good gun, buddies man. from the south. I, I, I come home <laughs> and I've got a package at the house, man, of Trappistine Nun caramels from one Gilbert Ornelas. And and, <laughs> and, and let me tell you, I, I go, man, have you tried these? He's like, no, I sent them to you. <laughs> so, uh, so <laughs> I let the, Joe do the taste testing. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the one gaining the, the weight tester, here, yeah. man. So I got to put the extra running in, but. Uh, I, I, we're going to bring something to El Camp for you, buddy. We're going to make you <laughs> – we'll That's get fantastic. even with that. <laughs> and, but let me tell you, um, so the Trappistine Nun Caramels are legit. <laughs> so That's awesome, man. They are the bomb, man. I was like, well, well we eat <laughs> But that right. – <laughs> How many of y'all eating them all, Joe? Well, all the dark chocolates are gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite too. Man, those get those cats from up there called me on the phone and they're like, Uh, you know we're in Iowa. <laughs> I said, Yes, sir. They're like, Yeah, you know, it's ninety five degrees up here. If we send those caramels, it's gonna be like they're gonna melt. I said, Right. Well heck where I'm from, we put some dry ice with it. And they're like, Oh, well, we could do the cold packs, but it's gonna be extra. I said, I don't care how much it costs. You send them cool. to Joe. That was cool, man. Oh, thank you, bud. Thank you very much. They so were go, all melted when you got them, huh, Joe? Oh no, they're solid they're, as a rock. They look intact, yeah. Oh yeah, they're, they're pretty intact. Oh man, they're That's they're crazy. legit. They really are legit. So you guys, man, gotta get you some trapestine nun caramels. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All right, so exactly. top of the chart this week. This city is home to the burial grounds of his brother, Israel, along with Squire and Sarah, the parents of Daniel Boone. You know, I always thought he was a Kentucky boy, but this guy grew up in Mockville, North Carolina. Oh, man. Mockville, really? North Carolina. Shout out. North Carolina. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's where we get all them hunting skills from, right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I first started reading about this next uh, city, I was thinking Wisconsin or Minnesota, but known as the city of bridges because it has 446 bridges, which is more than Venice, Italy, or any other city in the world has. A blue collar shout out to a blue collar city, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yes, Pittsburgh. sir. Spend a lot of time in that city. Yep, the oil field's booming there. It has been for the last few years. Uh, yep, spend a lot of time there in Uniontown and in uh, Pittsburgh and surrounding cities there in West Virginia. Uh, so I think um, I've heard people talk about predictions and I, I, that, man, the elk herd there in Pittsburgh, Pitts, uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, not Pittsburgh, but in Pennsylvania, the one in Kentucky, yeah, those herds there just have prime conditions for really turning out some big elk. It's going to be interesting to see what, you know, those guys aren't going to be traveling west here before too long. Yeah, those herds in Kentucky and Pennsylvania, those are really coveted tags, too, to get. Yes, they are. Uh, but my, you know, I've got a friend of mine that's going to be elk hunting with this year, uh, that's going to be elk hunting with us this year, Brendan Houlihan. He's from uh, Pennsylvania went to Penn State, and uh, I believe he puts in every year for that tag. He hasn't drawn it yet, but that place is you know the the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has done a fantastic job reintroducing the Rocky Mountain Elk in that region, and uh, we got a lot a lot of thanks to give. Well, to I think there's guys. only like seventy thousand applications for like four hundred tags. So exactly, yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's, but that's man, the bulls are big. I, I've I've seen a few shows where you know those bulls are really beautiful and they got great 
habitat there for them sure. as well. Yeah, I mean, you really don't have the predators. You got the habitat. You don't have the hard winters, you yep. know. No so, wolves. Yeah, no, no wolves. wolves. Yeah. Yep. You know, we got the, some black bears and coyotes like we do kind of in New Mexico, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they don't have the, the grizzlies or the, the wolves. To, Cougars, to, yeah, right. right. Mm-hmm. You're up next, bro. Well, next is described as stunningly beautiful, located on the Tippecanoe River, uh, you'll want to stop by Tippy's for a slice of pizza and cold beer uh, in Winnemac, Indiana. Winnemac, Indiana. Winnemac, Indiana. In the house. Thank you guys yes. for watching, man. And, and I loca- hope I pronounced that right, Tippy Canoe. I don't Tippy know canoe. if that's right. Yeah. Yes, Tippy Canoe. Yeah, yeah. Tippy Canoe and Tippy Tyler, canoe. too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, there you go. Located just 2.5 hours from the Canadian border and located in the lush valley of the St. Joe's River, This city is known as the hidden jewel of the gem state, St. Mary's, Idaho. St. Mary's. And getting a lot of people from Idaho. Yeah, a lot of people from Idaho. Hello, Idaho, man. Idaho, Washington, Oregon. Uh, It's so cool, all these guys that are checking out the podcast. And last but not least, the home to the world's largest annual gathering of twins. Their Twin Days Festival has been taking place since 1976. Twinsburg, Ohio. <clears throat> Twinsburg, and oh, Twinsburg. by the way, Twinsburg, Ohio. They have a huge festival, and it's for twins, triplets, quad. They celebrate the uniqueness of multiple births. And for any of you twins out there, any of you multiple birth families out there, it doesn't matter if there's eight of you. <laughs> August right. 2nd through the 4th. August 2nd through the 4th wow. there in Twinsburg, Ohio. Twinsburg, Ohio. Man, yep. we appreciate all the, our listeners. You know, if you guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review. It's really how we keep things rolling here. You've got to go to Apple Podcasts. Uh, to to help us rate and review on or on iTunes right. uh, to review and then check out you know our elk hunting content on at elkbros.com. Yeah, we got uh, stories on there. Um, you know, uh, links to all of our videos and stuff like that. So check it out. And when you go on there, go ahead and join our elk camp. That way, we can make sure you get announcements that uh, keep you in the know on when things are coming out. You bet. And any of the questions that you might want to send us, they just send it to info, that's I-N-F-O, at elkbros.com. Let's move on. Let's move on to what our main topic is uh, today and uh, and talking about hunting partners. And, uh, you know, I think this is something that all three of us can talk about as far as uh, our hunting partners, the, those people that we ride with, or have ridden the river with. And, um, you know, in doing that, I think we'll be able to kind of pull out some of those qualities of, of, uh, of a hunting partner. Well, first of all, you want a partner that's uh, willing to get out there and uh, do the fair chase. And uh, you want somebody that's been working out. So he's in relatively good shape uh, because it's pretty tough out there. Um, Round is a shape. <laughs> yeah, I'm, we're all getting there. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> yeah, so so that's real important. But, of course, attitude and uh, personality go a long way. You know, you can just about uh, hunt with anybody if, if uh, the personality is there. You know, positive, positive energy. 
you know, you don't want a lot of negative energy out there. Um, and uh, someone that's not afraid to stay out there the whole day if you have to. Uh, there's a lot of walking, a lot of walking involved. And sometimes you'll <laughs> hit them right away, and sometimes it'll, it'll take uh, two, three days before you get Couple any, days. any yep. before you even spot one. So uh, mm-hmm. that's important, you know, uh, perseverance, you know, getting out there and, and just, just hunting. You know, it, is, it, it can be work, but it's, it's fun. You know, somebody that, ha- that enjoys themselves in the outdoor. And I've been lucky I got two good ones. <laughs> Man, I'm going to tell you, I've, I've been so lucky to have you guys. Uh, I, you know, it's been 10 years now. Uh, it'll be the 10th season that I've been able to hunt with Joe or Chav. And uh, the last few years I've hunted a lot with Chav. And, I, you know, you can't ask for a better hunting partner. A uh, guy that's so knowledgeable uh, that you can learn from. They were so man, these guys were teachers the whole time. You know, it was a, it was like having an elk coach at your side. So yeah, I couldn't thank you guys enough. And all, you know, look, there's many other guys before us too. I mean, you know, the RC Knox of the world, uh, Kent Miller, Ross Miller, Carl Gamage. I mean, those are the guys that I've, I've rode the river with, you know, and, and, and look, I'll, I'll be real honest. The guys that I brought to elk camp with me, uh, our, our Venezuelan mafia brothers, yeah. they're some of the best men you'll ever meet. You know? Yeah. And I, right. Yeah, and you know, like Chav said, I, a lot of it has to do is, is if your personalities and your attitudes and your thought processes and, and your philosophies and your ethics all match up. If they don't, you're going to have issues. So, you know, it's just, I hate to say it, but it, you know, it's almost like, you know, uh, I think you said it, Gilbert, you know, some of your partners was kind of like marriages, man. I mean, if you guys don't, if you don't have um, those similar likes, dislikes and a chemistry, then it's not going to happen, you know, and, and, and that doesn't mean you have to agree on everything that, I mean, you take a look at our elk camp. We're, we're all of right. different nationalities. Diverse we're all creatures. different political beliefs. Yep. We're different religions. Amen. And, uh, yep. but yet, we're very tolerant and accepting and, and have great conversations. And, uh, you know, elk camp is a, is a pretty special place. And, and, you know, if you have people that are willing to share and people that are real willing to work for each other and care about what they do, care about these animals. And now I'm kind of going into our, our thought processes and this is how we think about stuff, but you know, you've brought guys in to elk camp, you know, so, We've had different guys that have come yes. in at different times and I always evaluate them immediately. And, you know, um, I, I watch, I look, Coach I listen. Joe. Yeah. And, you know, are these somebody that I want to spend time with or I want them to come back, you know? And yep. we've, we've been very fortunate that we've had some terrific people because you're not going to find, I mean, you take a look at, at Luis and Manano who, <laughs> guys everybody he refers to as our venezuela mafia these guys are just they are so passionate and so grateful to be out there in the elk woods and to have the opportunity to share experiences that they're positive i don't, I don't want to sound sappy but it's almost a love you know that you well, have it is. a kinship between sure. sports between sportsmen you know right and uh, these guys share that same passion and that same love of the outdoors uh, whether it be their faith in God uh, right. and their faith in, you know, their faith in their, their partners uh, as well. Um, I look for good people, Joe. 
You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm of the I'm of the cut that Carl Gamage made a long time ago that he don't do buttholes. No, right? yeah, and, and I mean Carl didn't do that. No, you we know? don't. And if you brought one to camp, you would you probably wasn't going to stay. You was going to be ex- escorted to the gate. That's right. Uh, but we and I've never brought a guy like that. I, I don't think I've ever brought a guy to elk camp. Well, I know I haven't ever brought a guy to elk camp that wasn't invited back. Right. right. Or they didn't have an opportunity to come back. Some of them have not come back because of other reasons. They just, you know, they were traveling right. or whatever it may be, or we're trying to let somebody else come in. It's a pretty nice tight knit group. You know, this year, last year we had <clears throat> Trey Kistler with us from Kistler Rods. Uh, one of my really, really close friends. And he had some awesome opportunities last year, mm-hmm. had a great time. Um, you know, he's uh, building a business, so he's busy this year. He's not not able to come. and So we're going to have one, a returning guy come with us, uh, Brendan Houlihan, who I've hunted with many, many years in the whitetail woods. And we've killed some cougars together. And, I mean, we've uh, we've rode the river together. And I trust this guy. He's, he's a guy I'd like to have in elk camp, you know. Yeah, we're looking so. for people that, um, honestly, that – they want to they want to share in the work they want to share in the wealth they're unselfish they believe in a group effort because it's all about a group we, you know when we do things we do it as a family yeah. when we refer to people as brother there's we a do. reason for that so um yeah. those type of qualities we're looking for is people you don't have to be the best at everything you just got to want to put out effort you want to you know get excited about what you're doing uh be passionate have that energy yeah. um and you know you, you guys see, like you can see me, I'm the loud mouth, I'm the real aggressive, I'm, I'm the one that's out there. You know, Chav doesn't say a whole lot, you know. Um, Don't have to. He, he doesn't have to. He does he things with by actions. example. And like Manano yeah. says, you know, it, it, when Chav talks, it's like the Chavis wisdom that comes out, <laughs> you know, when that it's does. Like e. It. Yeah, and but I'm showing yet, my age there. But, but yet yeah. we've been hunting together for thirty some years. We we have enjoyed the the hard times. We've put in all the work. Um, I'm I'm big and and he's about half my size, but he puts in twice the work with everything Ooh. that we do. And yeah. when I see that, that makes me want to have somebody like that with me. And uh, I know how much he cares. We have the same thought processes and shoot he knows what i'm gonna do a lot of times before i do it so yeah um, I, I couldn't look past this past year in everybody helping me you know i killed that bull uh in the evening we knew the bull was down we decided to back out and come and eat and gathered our troops everybody was willing to come and and help right and right. i mean chad did more work <clears throat> than anybody right uh, we butchered that elk and made it all in one trip because sure. because Chav was going to make two trips, right? right? I couldn't I couldn't be more happy with guys like that, you know. Had had somebody that said, "Oh well, that ain't my bull. I'm staying in camp." Well, we wouldn't have that wouldn't have been too cool. We're yeah. keen on helping yeah. everybody, you know. Yeah, and that's that's just the thing is, and you know, things that uh, what about the things that will make a hunting partner like a one time deal? And, and I can tell you, you know, like, like you said, Gilbert, we don't do, we don't do buttholes, man. And, you know, somebody wants to act like a jerk and, uh, you know, get selfish and somebody that, uh, it's about me and mine and, you know, uh, that, that's, 
you know, lazy, uh, inconsiderate, uh, doesn't think about the people around them. Um, those types of things for me, you know, those are deal breakers, you know, uh, people that, um, you know, that, that break the bro code, man. And, and, and don't treat other people like they want to be treated. And, you know, I, I, if I have people that, uh, yeah, I'll tell you another thing too is, is that one thing that eventually becomes a deal breaker for me is people that, uh, always depend on, um, me to make their decisions for them. I like people to grow. I like people to contribute. Uh, I want people to get better at what they're doing. You know, I, I coach people and help people and, and I want to see some improvement at that. And I want to see them step out, step forward, make some mistakes, you know, but that's cool. I don't mind mistakes, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, uh, I, I want to see growth in people and I want to see them help other people around them to grow. So, um, how you find a hunting partner? Well, I mean, I, you just got to find guys that have that like mindset. You know, uh, I've been very fortunate to work in an industry where I get to call on most of my friends, right? Uh, and we get to do things together that uh, we hunt and we fish and we travel the right. world together working, right? right. So in, in the spare time, most of my clients are my friends. And at the end of the day, we get to do those things together. And so we've made a a friendship number one mm-hmm. and these guys are just as passionate about what I like to do and same thing with them you know most of the guys that I've I've had elk hunting with me have been bow hunters uh, of some sort us Texas guys and but they've never gotten to come and hunt a, a Rocky Mountain bull elk and when they do I mean it's like it's, you know, if you give them that first piece of crack for free, they, they coming back. <laughs> you know? So it's, uh, it's, you know, I tell them, I tell them all the time, we got, we'll give you the first piece for free. Cause I'm telling you the next, it changes their lives. I mean, it, sure. these guys that I, I, you know, Pat Salvo, Jeremy Christofferson, uh, Jacob Langley, uh, Steve Tucker, the big bad right. Canadian. Right? right. I mean, this cat, Tucker's just a workhorse. He's in for anything, you know, sure. Luis Gonzalez, uh, Manano Gatron. I mean, Ken McCorkle. I mean, these guys are the guys I ride the river with every day, you know? Right. Uh, and, you know, I want Brandon to tell Houlihan, you, so. you, you know, when you also, if, if you are somebody that's passionate about hunting and you start and you're out there and you meet somebody, you can meet somebody in the woods and have a conversation and, and then go back to their camp. Maybe they're in a single camp and, uh, you know, you can kind of find out about people out there that are doing the things you're doing. And, and, you know, we, we met somebody ended up hunting with us antelope hunting for a few years that became a really good friend that way, you know, uh, found him out in the woods and gave him some water and some food. And next thing you know, man, we couldn't get rid of him, but it, it was awesome, you know? And, you know, even if you're out, like you said, you know, Gilbert, in your daily grind and you're, you, you meet somebody and, and you strike up a conversation about hunting and that person shows some excitement, some passion, we'll encourage that. You Absolutely. know, uh, if you don't have a partner, you know, kind of feel out, say, you know, uh, why don't you try, I'm going to a shoot and maybe you could do some of that together. And it's, it's kind of a process where you get to know that person and, 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 you know, make plans to go on a hunt together. If it didn't work out that yep. year, 
fine, man, you're, you're not out nothing. You know, you got to hunt in that year right. and, and you had some experience with that person and, you know, maybe it's time to try somebody else. And, you know, but, uh, I think the thing that to do the most is, is to have conversations, spend some time with people, get to know them in different ways. And, uh, it, it can end up, I mean, some of the best friends that we, we have are people that live hours and hours away from us that we spend oh, yeah. more time on, on, exactly yeah uh, on whatsapp <clears throat> you know <laughs> we're, we're constantly texting each other and and uh doing things like this so well i i you know the guys that i've that i've elk hunted with have been guys that i've some of them i've met in deer camp you know right, right. i took some i took some gentlemen humping hunting to the famed sombrito ranch here in texas south texas and uh, i met a young man by the name of travis carter uh, Travis is one of my good friends and they just so happened owned a big ranch up in, up in, uh, South, Northern New Mexico, Southern Colorado. And, uh, we hooked up and I, I brought some clients up there hunt, elk hunting and Travis and those guys run a great, a great place to hunt. And he, we just become great friends, you know, uh, right. and he is a big fan of the show. So, uh, love <laughs> well, thanks, Travis. Travis. We hope you're listening. Love Travis. I've hunted with him several times and he's just a, just as good a guy as you could ever meet. You know, right. uh, I don't hunt with people that I don't love Joe. I right. just don't. So yeah, I got to, yeah. I, re- I got to really like you to let you in that part of my world. Yeah. If you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're shaking heads, man, then, uh, it's, it's probably not going to, probably not going to happen. You know, <laughs> it's just, uh, uh, yeah. I know I've left some guys out. I mean, we love all those guys and look forward to seeing their pictures every year and what they're doing. And if they're joining us in elk camp uh, this year or or whatnot, but it's a brotherhood, man. That's right. I hear Michael Waddell talking about it on his podcast and on, on his show and stuff, but it is a brotherhood, you know? Right. And uh, I I truly believe that Uh, we, we keep in touch um, this is this has spawned into something for me, you, and Chav, and the Venezuelan boys to keep in touch, not just once a year, but you know, all every, year long. Yeah, every week. So yeah. it's yeah. been it's been awesome. I yeah. can't thank you guys enough, Joe. Cool. So uh, if you if you guys have any uh, questions about that, just send them our way, or send us a story about one of your hunting partners, and and we'll talk about that because um, you're going to hear about a bunch of ours. We got uh, we got people that. Uh, are in our life, people that have passed out of our life that uh, we're going to continue to keep their life going just by sharing their stories. All right, bud. Well, I guess we'll uh, answer a few questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. Yeah, let's go. Let's answer some of our, our readers' questions. And uh, we had quite a few that came in and I had some really good ones. And it's so funny because every time I get <laughs> a question from somebody, they're like, oh, this may be silly or something like that. And I'm like, man, they're sending some great mm-hmm. questions. So, I tell you, guys, keep sending them. Keep sending them. You know, uh, we'll read them off. And so the first one is from Darren Gresham. And uh, Darren, uh, I'm going to read his his question here. He says, do you use the same calling tactics all the time regardless of elk population density or bull-to-cow ratio? He said that he drew an incredible tag uh, in New Mexico on the second archery hunt. And what he read about the unit, that it had a 49 to 100 bull-to-cow ratio. So he was saying with that many bulls, should he be aggressive with his calling or would cow calls be best? Or would being even more aggressive be better? Um, So 
there's a lot of parts to this question and uh, <clears throat> I, I want to answer it uh, straight off in, in one way. Like when you say, do you use the same calling tactics uh, regardless of the elk population? The answer to that question is basically yes. It, it really doesn't matter what the population density is. When I change my tactics is more according to the time of year. So if it's uh, early rut, if it's um, if it's peak rut, or if it's if it's late season, and um, now when you ask the question with so many bulls, should I still be aggressive with my calling, or would cow calls be best? So you know this is kind of a, a, a trick question in a way, and, and let me explain why. Um, yeah, you can definitely be a aggressive with your calling but you're it depends on what kind of bull you're trying to get in so if if you're out there just trying to get a bull if you're not worried about or an elk if you're not worried about whether it's a cow or it's a raghorn uh or if it's a if it's a, a trophy bull up there then um then you kind of have to alter your calling for that and you got to think about this so there's a whole bunch of about uh, a whole bunch of bulls to to cows here and it's if you want to go out there and scare off 80% of those bulls because you're screaming and being aggressive with your calling then keep being aggressive basically uh, what you're talking about doing is is you're just out there ringing the bell and see who's going to answer the call. <laughs> so, you know, when you have that high of a of a bull to cow ratio, um, you can call in a lot of bulls. But and if you go out there cow calling, well, you're going to call in, and and I always believe it's better to be a lover than a fighter. We talked about this, right? Mm -hmm. You know, correct. So, <clears throat> the thing is, is who or what story are you trying to portray? And if you go out there and there's a bunch of bulls, and you just go out screaming challenge bugles out to those bulls, then herd bulls or a lot of the bulls are just going to turn tail and run. You know, gather um, their cows and goats. Yeah. Now you might get one that says, "I'm your huckleberry." and uh, is interested mm -hmm. in coming in and, and, and is feeling his oats and wants to come in and fight. That's great, man. So you can do that. You can go all, you know, doing that screaming and be aggressive. When I talk about being an aggressive hunter, I talk more about being aggressive on, yeah, on my calling because I do a lot of calling, but you got to be smart about your calling and it's about moving in on animals. It's about, um, you know, making things happen. It's about making noises in the woods. So, if you're going early season, but you're not, you're on that second archery hunt. So you're talking peak rut. So now you have mm -hmm. bulls that are already cowed up, right? So in that, the story that you want to do is you don't necessarily want to challenge that bull. You want to tell that bull that you have some cows. You want to tell those other bulls that you have cows and you want to make your story sound like you are a bull with cows. Because in doing that, now instead of bulls thinking that you're just out there to whip everything in the woods, they're going to come in to you to scent check, to check and see, you know, if you have cows, because that's the picture that you're portraying. So 
when you're doing that, it's, it's a whole lot different deal. That's where those, those sounds that the bulls make like, or things that they do like ripping up a tree. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Or like what we do, Gilbert, when we, when we use a group to put on a show to make it sound like there's a bull with cows, there's other bulls interested and -hmm. they're starting to come in. Now, if you're by yourself, it's a little bit harder to do, but it can definitely be done. So you need, Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. You can get pretty, you can get pretty wild, you know, Colin, I've, I've done that. And sometimes that that's as good as anything, but I'm with you, Joe. I think when they're all cowed up like that, you can really have an adverse effect acting like a big ass herd bull, you know, and just blowing that grunt, that bugle tube and acting a fool with it. You can actually make the cows and the, or the bull round those cows up, all butt up the mountain. Right. Right. Instead of if you can, for me, if I can actually get the cows to react to me and, and start coming towards me and I can get between him and the cows, it's over with. Well, right. and, and you actually said the exact thing when you have, if it's a herd bull you're after, yeah. the only way you can pull that herd bull off is by not talking to him. It's by talking to his cows, making him That's think right. that, you know, it's just like anything you go in, you go into a bar, <laughs> you go in anywhere and uh, <laughs> start talking to a dude's girlfriend. That's a good way to get him yeah. fired up. So, uh, right. <laughs> you know, th- that's how you do that. But you can also, you can also sound like a bull and sound like a herd bull that has cows and do those calls that a herd bull does so that you get those satellite bulls to come into you. And, oh yeah. And it can definitely be done. So yes. and I, I think you, like you touched on, it's really more about what he's, you know, if he's wanting to kill a herd bull, it's a little bit different opportunity than just calling in a satellite or a raghorn or even a cow, right? If he's just looking to kill an elk, that's a way different, a way different scenario. But just but remember one thing, on though. Herd. Remember one thing is that that herd bull is not the only one that's going to breed his cows. There's other mature no, bulls right. around that what we're calling satellites that are around that herd yeah. that if that are waiting their turn, basically, you know? So if, if you're sounding like a bull that has cows with, with you, that uh, a a bull that might have a hot cow with you, then you can get some beautiful mature bulls to come into you to try to send check the situation or the picture that you're painting. So um, the fact that there's a good ratio means that you just have more, encounters uh, and right right <clears throat> and what joe touched on earlier when he said don't be afraid to make some noise that's not just calling that's moving fast to close yep. the gap to get uh close to where you're where you're hearing the bulls and or the cows so uh, you know because yeah, they're not going to be silent when they come in either right they sound like a herd of elephants coming through there yeah and you know the other thing is is what I like to do at that time is if once you have a bull calling to you, if you really aren't sure how to escalate the situation, I always like to mimic them and, and just basically you're staying in the same mode that they are. So when they escalate, you escalate and it just fires them up. Just imitate them. They chuckle, chuckle back at them. So 
uh, it's kind of like that little annoying brother, you know, that you say, uh, you need to go to your room. You need to go to your room. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it fires them up. So oh, man, I've seen it drive them nuts. You know, they right. can't handle it. As soon as you start mimicking them, whoo, that really aggravates them. So, Darren, I hope we answered your question on that. Um, we're going to be doing some videos that are going to talk about and actually demonstrate some of those calls that we use in those situations, some of the strategies that we do, because uh, we really have certain things that we do. I do individually. I can make them sound a certain way. But when you have a group, if you have two, three guys hunting together, then you can really paint a picture that will bring those bulls into you. And, and you've and got to be smart about how you do it. Oh, it's isn't it though. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Uh, so, um, our, our next, uh, question is from Sam Hogan. And Sam said that he hunted the third rifle hunt last year, mostly in wilderness unit and was able to locate plenty of elk sign from September. So Sam, I'm imagine when you say that, that you found some old wallers that you were finding rubs that you were finding sign in there in bedding areas, old bedding and stuff like that. That's just what I picture in my mind. And so this year he's going to bow hunt. He says it's a great unit that has lower hunter numbers, much higher success rate in archery, um, but no wilderness and a lot of roads, AT fee access. He says that he's very familiar with the mapping uh, remote scouting process, but as far as boots on the ground goes, he's going to go in completely blind. So his question is, he's got two units. He's got one wilderness unit that he knows that he saw a sign in, and then he has that he's familiar with, and then he has the other unit that has the statistics um, that shows that it's going to be a good unit. And his question is, do I go with the known or with the statistics? And, uh, well, let me, I've got an opinion on that. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll let you guys have a shot at that. What do you think, Chav? Well, you know, if he saw a lot of sign in that wilderness area, you know, I would think about that. And I'd also look, since he's good at mapping and, and knows the area as far as his scouting process, uh, he can locate uh, watering holes and whatnot. Uh, and because uh, you don't know what the weather's going to be like, I'm not sure wh where you're hunting. Could be Arizona, <laughs> could be Colorado, could or be New Mexico, Elko, Nevada, or anywhere else in in the West. So mm -hmm. a lot of it would depend on on possibly water during that type of year. I think this is Colorado, not. if I remember right. This is right. Colorado. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, so he has the wilderness area that he hiked into, and then he has this new area that has a lot of roads and ATV access and it shows that it's got a real high success. Yeah, rate. I think, you know, he's obviously going to start in the, in the, in the uh, lower area and hike up to the wilderness area if, if that's the plan. But by going through the uh, lower area, he can also look for sign and right. there's a possibility that they're there because they tend to be lower at the beginning of the So I season. think his problem is, is he's got to choose between wilderness or choose between the statistic areas. Like he right. can't, can't go to both of them. Oh, so, I see. Yeah. Yeah. You, you follow me on that? Got it. So he's trying to figure, do mm -hmm. I go to that? Do I hike into that wilderness area and uh, where he saw sign from September? Um, he didn't see animals necessarily, but he saw sign or does he go to this other areas he's trying to pick the one that has the high stats i wonder how far back he looked as far as the stats if they're pretty consistent year in and year out you know that's 
yeah. that's a possibility. I, I would say you kind of hit something on there too, because there, there's a couple points here that, that I want to tell you, Sam. Number one is, is anytime you hike into the wilderness, uh, you're taking a chance because you're spending a lot of time and energy to get back there into that wilderness. And if you get in there and all your eggs are in that basket, and let's say you hike all the way in and you find people camped in the area or, or a outfitter camp or something like that, um, then you're now you're kind of, you're stuck, you know? Uh, and I will tell you this too, that and we made the same mistake early in our careers that a lot of people think when you go into wilderness, you got to go as deep as you can back there to have good elk hunting. And every, because everybody's thinking that everybody's doing it. And some of the best places are pretty close to the, to the trailhead, like you were saying, right. The lower areas down there. Um, looking at the other area with ATV access and the high ratio, if it's got that kind of a high ratio there, number one, I'm really looking at that. Uh, I'm not sure where you got your ratio from. If it's from a game biologist or if it's uh, um, like the on hunt apps or something like that. Uh, but I would definitely myself, if I have ATV access and I can do night bugling and I can set up different areas, um, that's a lot like what we have, right, guys? Right. Yeah. yeah. So to me, that provides me more opportunities. And again, even in that ATV access, a lot of people are going to try to go as deep as they can. And a lot of times they pass a lot of elk. So for me, I'm going for the high ratio. I'm going for, um, I want as, as much access and ability to change my situation so that if I have a plan A, B, C, D, and they're not an A, I can go to B. <laughs> I can hunt B one day yep. and then I can go to C. And, you know, with that many bulls in that area, uh, I'd have to say statistics, bud, and <clears throat> You know, you were in the area, you know what happened wilderness-wise if you came across a lot of competition or not and or, or didn't. And also, it depends on the experience that you want. If you want something where you're back in there by yourself and mm -hmm. you can find a location to put a camp right. and, and not see a whole lot of people, then, then you know, whatever it is that you're trying to get out of your hunt. Uh, so that, that's where yeah, I'm at. Sam. Sam, I think you, I think you know what you want to do. Uh, for me, as an as an elk hunter or a fisherman or anything, my grandfather taught me a long time ago: you don't leave fish to find fish. Mm -hmm. um, so, if you know that there's bulls there and you know it's a really good archery hunting area, uh, and you're very familiar with it, uh, you know what you're getting. It, when you don't, when you're going with something new, it's a gamble. Right. Right. And if you do, if you can do a little bit of recon and understanding where maybe they're going to feed and where they're going to water uh, and, and bed down, uh, those are some things that will probably help you. For me, if it's harder to get to, I'm, I like that better because most people aren't going to want to go there. Dude, so, that's Colorado. Uh, I got news for you. In Colorado, everybody wants to go back in. There. <laughs> yeah, so, I guess. I mean, you know, I, there are a lot of places that we go that not a lot of people want to get to. Right. right. I mean, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard it's getting difficult. there. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's difficult. So, like I said, I mean, I, the difficulty is sometimes your friend. 
you know, um, there are a lot of areas that I fish on different reservoirs that most guys don't want to go. Number one, they don't want to scratch their pretty little boat up or, you know, they don't want to run the risk of knocking their lower unit off because it's real bad. It's real stumpy. So I need to correct myself on one thing there, Gilbert, in that I kind of was looking at both, uh, Sam and Darren because it was Darren with the high bulk cow ratio and it was right. uh, Sam with the high success rate. And one thing I would right. tell you, uh, Sam, to do before you make a decision like that, when you see higher success rate, is um, is to do more research on that because sometimes higher success rate can be in an area where there's not that much public and there's more private, uh, and that kind of boosts that up a little bit. Or there's people that just don't have access as much access to that. So. Uh, don't just say it's a high success rate, really go further, find out from them game biologists and take a look at the area, look on Onyx, find out how much, um, how much property that you do have to hunt there and talk to those game wardens, game biologists and find out, is that happening, uh, from, you know, uh, outfitters or is it happening from public hunters? Okay. So I hope we answer your your question there. Yep. Um, Good question. Next question. Kyle from Windsor, Colorado. We know this boy's in Colorado. <laughs> so he, he <laughs> yep, says that uh, sure. he says in 2019, this is his fifth year going into the Elkwoods in Colorado. He says every year he gets closer, but he still hasn't been able to seal the deal. So uh, he grew <clears> up <throat> whitetail hunting in Texas. Uh, that's a big part of your problem there, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the white tail curse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from listening, he says from listening to the podcast, that he feels like he's made every mistake possible, but, uh, uh, dude, trust me, we all make those. Um, can you touch more on late season rifle, November 13th through 17th strategies? So, if you're talking Colorado and you're talking late season, uh, now you're talking about those bulls. The snow is going to be key for you. Yes, sir. Gilbert, Gilbert's going like this right here, Kyle, because now it's time to really use those binos, get up high, um, check out those. If there's snow on the ground, the snow is going to be your best friend. These animals are going to follow that snow line. They're going to push down, and then they're going to be looking for feed. Right now, they are really coming out of their holes. This is one of your best times from late November to December to really get a nice mature bull. So they're, they're all starting to bachelor back up again. And right now, Gilbert, you have a saying that they're a slave. <laughs> they're slave to, to their, their bellies. bellies. Yes, sir. And this time of year, man, they are really trying to remember last year. They're trying to recuperate from that rut too, you know, and put that, put that weight on so they can, you know, they can survive this winter that they're fixing to have to go through. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And you remember how we saw the bulls there in late November? Yeah. You know, uh, man, we were seeing groups of eight, uh, groups of 12 and, and, great areas you know they're down and lower in those canyons in that grass trying to feed as much as possible in the morning going up on the sides but you can catch them on those sides you can see them on those sides then and if there is snow uh like a good buddy of mine uh lance bernal said you know make sure that you're you're really scanning those those southern slopes where that sun hits first and makes it a little bit 
you know, makes that snow thinner and where they can get to that grass easier. And sometimes they'll just bed on those southern slopes and, and soak in that sun the whole time that they're up there. So I, my my advice to you in that season is is to really check those in the morning. You want to check those lower uh, grassy areas at the bottom of those canyons. Uh, and those afternoons, those midday, check those southern slopes. And in those afternoons, check them coming out on those southern slopes and moving back down. And they're going to be easier to spot because they're going to be in groups. They're not going to be loners now. But your binos and your spotting scope are your best friend. Okay? Amen. So uh, the next no question uh, is from James Winters and Gilbert. This was He wrote this to you, bud. He said, uh, Gilbert, I drew a unit that has OHV access, the first rifle hunt. As a solo hunter, would you recommend me taking my side-by-side to drive around and try to find hot spots within a mile? Or, and, and I had a hard time uh, reading this, or from the access road. So I'm not exactly yeah, sure what he means I'm, on that. I, I think he probably meant off, off from the access <clears throat> road, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, within a mile off of the access road. Um, that's a great question, James. Um, for me, uh, I'm a, I'm an average round hunter. So, uh, walking out of elk camp ain't my passion. Uh, so yes, I, I would suggest it. I mean, if you can, you, you need to check your local laws and, and, uh, red, you know, regulations. Uh, a lot of these, uh, States will only allow you to stay on the two track and you can't get off of it with a ATV or UTV. Um, so, yeah, I would. I mean, the closer you can get to those animals, the easier it is for you to pack them out, everything else. So I would not have a problem using my UTV to get to an area and then expand within five to seven miles from from wherever you park your vehicle, you know, maybe even more, maybe eight miles, you know. But you you, you got to really do your homework on your area, which is which you can do today. Google Maps is unbelievable you can do all of your you can do all of your uh pre-scouting just using google maps or or uh, onyx right uh and you can see all of those places that you're going to need to be uh off of the even a lot of those access roads are on those so yeah i I would do that wouldn't you joe yeah well and Definitely, because we're almost to the same situation as what uh, Sam was talking about up there because of the ATV access. And if you take a look at when you're hunting, if that's the first rifle hunt, and if it's a first rifle hunt in, uh, in one of those states that are actually doing that in September or yeah. the 1st of October, now your access is really critical because you can get out there. And what I would do is I would get out there and do some night bugling and go to different locations and just get out there and do some night bugling because those animals are cranking at that time. So now you can get out there and, and you can mark your location, especially, you know, we really urge people to use their, their cell phone with OnX or, or to use a, um, a GPS of some kind. Mark where you are at when you heard that animal and, uh, you know, travel and see what el- whatever else you can find from, from high locations calling down into some of those areas. Because, man, I'm telling you what, that first rifle hunt is unbelievable if it's that September and October 1st uh, hunt. So, 
you know, as a solo hunter, your ATV is going to become critical to help you packing that animal out. It's going to be critical for you to find location A, location B, location C, and location D, and different ways that you go and trying to uh, locate those animals that are talking and they're going to be screaming. So one of my suggestions for, you know, for you is that, that you're – Side-by-side is just your interface to get you to a location. I hope you're working on your calling. Um, your glassing is not going to be cardio. as cardio. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir, because you're going to be doing – and you're not going to have to chase as much. Remember, use some of those things that we talked about, like getting on the same level as those animals on a ridge across or up above them where you can see them in the opening or seeing them on an opposite ridge going up where you got quality shots. So – um, you're really fortunate that you drew a unit that uh, is in the first rifle hunt. That should be a blast. And um, I, I'm just telling also, you, use, Jay, go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. Just use that to find your spot so that you can do a lot of talking and locate those animals. Yeah, one of the things, James, too, also as a solo hunter, I would urge you to – at least try to find a camp around you, somebody that's there that you could report to where you're going to be. Because uh, mm. if you fall and get hurt or something like that, somebody needs to know where you're going to be camped and where right. you're going to be hunting in that area. And there should be some guys camping around you, or 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 at least you can let, let your wife know what area you're going to be in. So if something were to happen to you, James, they would at least know where to start to try and start looking for you. He can also Maybe use something a, like an in-reach as well or a spot, especially right. if you're going to be so low. Okay. And, and it's, it's worth that uh, peace of mind for any of your people. And I'm not sure how old you are, and sometimes that doesn't matter because, uh, like we talked about, mm -mm. the guy that got lost in, uh, in Hawaii – you know, this guy was in his twenties. Looked right. like, looked like the Rock, right? Right. Yeah. Looked like he could get out no matter what. Yeah, and found him dead. So, you know, uh, age doesn't have anything to do with it. Any kind of accident can happen out there. So, uh, yeah, you guys that are just hunting solo, y'all be safe, and you know, give a give your wife or whomever your significant other, your kids or whatever, a lat long where you're going to be camping. And they can find you on that lat long pretty easy. So now we're going to go to uh, Keenan Gibson. And Keenan said he had two questions. He said, uh, uh, this coming September, and I'm, I'm going to kind of answer this, answer this first part pretty quick. He said, this coming September, I'm going on my first DIY solo backpack archery hunt. <laughs> what backpack do you recommend? And um, so oh, yeah. we've done backpack hunts years ago. Uh, we're pretty much, our style is pretty much doing a base camp and using ATVs uh, to move to other areas or using a truck to get to another area and hunting from that area. But uh, there's a lot of good backpacks out there that you're going to need, uh, Keenan, that can also haul meat because we're planning on you being successful. And, uh, you know, I, I know that um, there are several companies that make um, packs that, are also meat haulers. And I encourage you, whatever you get, try it on, make sure it fits your body type. And, uh, you know, it is September that you're doing it. So if you're going to be wearing it full time, uh, you want to make sure I'm this quiet for you. So 
I really don't have a pack that I could recommend for you, but uh, uh, an exact pack, but there's a lot of those that make them and they come in all different price ranges. Uh, you can also just get one that has a real good shelf on it, what we call a hauler shelf. So it's going to be a backpack that's going to have a hauler shelf. But uh, if you get something like that, it's a little more difficult to get your gear out. I tell you what, dude, solo if <laughs> is one of the toughest things that you can do. It's one of the most rewarding things you can do because it's up to you to do everything. So... You know, you're going to have to get that animal off the mountain. You're going to have to get all your gear off the mountain. So it's an incredible experience, and it's very rewarding once, you, once you're done with it, but it will be one of the toughest tests of your body that you've ever gone through. So um, second, uh, it says you guys mentioned only shooting fixed broadheads. He says that he shot muzzy fixed blades, and he's also used the Schwacker Expandable both with success on deer. <laughs> what type brand of fixed blade do you recommend using? And I know Gilbert's getting ready to yell out something over there, but uh, uh, first of all. I'll let Chav lead us off. <laughs> okay, He's got firsthand knowledge of that. I'll start, I'll start <laughs> off and I'll let, uh, I'm shooting the uh, same broadhead Gilbert does, so he can tell you what that is later. But I've shot both with success, actually. Uh, but... You know, I had a chance at a huge six by six and my expandable opened uh, prematurely, probably hit a little twig or something because I told Gilbert I thought I'd hit something. And uh, it one blade opened up and that just killed all the momentum. So I only got like uh, probably an inch or less than that penetration. And also- And it was you, in the tin ring. Yeah, it was right near the heart, huh? <laughs> in the pocket. I'm talking in the pocket. I thought actually thought the the, the arrow was hanging out on the opposite side because the bull took off and run, spun around. There was another bull by him, and I'm watching the arrow dangling out of him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he just smoked this bull, and he was like, oh no, I missed him. I'm like, oh no, you didn't. The, yeah. the arrow's hanging out of him, but yeah, he didn't go God. in. But about not much, but but I heard something, so I thought it hit something and just deflected. Uh, but also when you yeah. when you knock your arrow and you have to walk a short distance or, you know, fit, let's say 50, 60 yards uh, when you're stocking up on something, every little uh, sapling, every little uh, weed becomes an obstacle for that uh, expandable blade. Whereas a fixed blade, you know, you, you won't have any problem with it. So there's an, a chance that it could open up. So if you're hunting elk and you've been successful with deer, using either one, just remember, <laughs> probably won't get as many chances to kill an, a big elk as you will a deer. And it's a so, whole different creature. Yeah, so you don't want to waste an opportunity. I go with a fixed blade, and, and Gilbert's got one he can recommend that's uh, well, pretty deadly, and maybe so, others. Uh, first of all, um, I, there's all kinds of blades that you can use, but do not use an expandable. And this is coming from a guide is that the whole idea of an expandable and what it's supposed to do by opening up inside an animal and causing a lot of damage inside, that animal is going to die if you get that expandable into that animal. The problem is our number one goal, and we talk about this in our other podcast, is we want two holes. I want a pass-through. And, man, you, you know, you're not going to get that pass-through. That's not what they're designed to do. So when it comes to what I do recommend um, – First of all, I'm going to say this. 
I'm going to recommend the uh, fixed blade. I like three blade. I'm going to recommend the fixed blade that flies best on your setup. And there's so many, and you want something that's cut on contact, and you want something that's going to give you a, a good size uh, cut on that animal. So um, with that said, I want you to understand I'm telling you what flies best with your boat. There's a lot of great broadheads out there. I personally have always used wasp. I've used the wasp hammer. Uh, I've used wasp when it was a conical cam lock back in the day. It's just it was, um, it was a, a very solid uh, broadhead for me that was economical at the time. Now it's, uh, you know, it's the same cost as just about any broadhead out there. But uh, I, I'm telling you whatever flies best. And I know Gilbert swears by some. And, and you know, you that's something that you can talk to 15 different bow hunters and get 15 different answers because they all believe in something that's worked well for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, and, and I am very passionate about it because it's been, it's been, uh, uh, something that, you know, I've done for so long. I grew up shoot, shooting muzzy broadheads. I'm not going to lie. I shot four Muzzie's blades. Great I shot, blade. Yeah. I shot their two, I shot their three blades. Um, I like them all. The new muzzy trocar is one of the, best flying fixed blade broadheads out of today's bows, right? Right. When we're talking about bows from 10 years, you know, 12 years back, totally different. These bows that are out there today, some of our past guides and outfitters call them nuclear bows, right? I mean, they, they, <laughs> they approach super subsonic speeds and it's amazing what, when it's inside 20 or 30 yards, guys really doesn't matter. But you when you get out, pocket, right? yeah, when you get it out 40, 50 yards, the broadhead starts to plane a lot of times. So when we like shooting these little blazer veins now instead of the long fletching. So if you have to adjust all of that garbage to get to your broadhead to fly the right way that you want it to, I would suggest you shoot several different fixed fixed blades. I am a huge fixed blade fan. I am not a fan of the expandables. I have shot some expandables at deer and had pretty decent luck with it uh, and hogs. And for me, the wild hog is the litmus test. They're very poor penetrating uh, broadheads. And I shoot a hammer of a bow, 31 inch draw, 72 pounds. So, I mean, I can blow through a, a Cape Buffalo if I need to. But at the end of the day, the broadhead that I've been shooting was a broadhead that was designed by a guy named Terry Hartcraft out of Fredericksburg, Texas. And <clears throat> it flies the best at distance for me. And it's mm -hmm. very, very accurate. And it, create, it is an unbelievable penetrating broadhead. Terry sold his company to Pradco, and Pradco has now built the broadhead under the Bloodsport name in the Bloodsport Wraith Deep Cut. And that's what I shoot, 100 grain, uh, deep cut. Uh, the cool thing about that broadhead is blades are sharp on both sides. You can practice with one side, ready to get ready to rock and roll, flip the blades over, screw it back down, you're ready to, to uh, go now, hunting. And it is a cut-on contact broadhead. And I want to throw in, too, I you know, uh, a lot of people are talking about weight forward on a lot of stuff these days, about, you know, really creating a hammer with your, with your arrow, really getting that kinetic energy. And – 
you know, I, I've been doing that for years, uh, shooting a, a 125 grain broadhead. So I'm actually adding that weight forward on there. And even though it might hurt a little bit close up, it's giving me more energy downrange. So uh, there's a lot of different ways that, that you can handle that. Um, but again, it's all about heard, penetration. Correct. We remember you want a blade and you want a setup that is going to give you a pass through. That is your goal. You want two holes. Um, you, you know, when we talk about making tracking easy so that we can take an animal down as quick and as ethical as possible and not lose that animal, the more holes in that body, uh, the better it's going to be for that. So I, um, we're going to move on from so that Kenan, question. Keenan. So the last thing I wanted to say to Keenan is you can't go wrong with Muzzy. You can't go wrong with the uh, shuttle T-lock uh, that was designed for elk hunters. And you can't go wrong with the uh, deep cut wraith uh, from Bloodsport. If you stick with those three, shoot all three of them, see how you like them. The Muzzy Trocar and those three broadheads will perform for you. One of them you'll like a lot, Keenan. Yep. And you'll be very successful with them. Yep. Just make sure it flies with your setup, whatever you use. And, and I, everyone of mine have been stung by the wasp, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and I love that broadhead. That broadhead's a hammer. Yes, you know, it is. I'm telling you. I like so, it. Um, just to remind everybody out there, you know, um, we didn't rush through, rush through these questions. So if you, and a lot of these guys didn't think these were good questions. So if you have a question, awesome. please send it in. Just remember, you just send it in to info at elkbros.com. You will get a response. I read every email that comes in. I answer every email that comes in. And most of them we're going to ask you, you know, we'd like to answer it on the show. So what a great show we had this week. Uh, we can't thank you guys enough. Uh, from Joe and Chav in New Mexico, I'm Gilbert Ornelas here in Spring, Texas. God bless all our grounders out, grinders out there. Kiss your wives and wives, kiss your husbands, hug your babies, keep your broadheads sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Hill Cutting. See you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>